Amen. Amen. Thank you, choir, as you make your way down, and musicians, thank you for leading us in worship. Let's get our Bibles out and open our copy of Scripture to the book of Job, chapter 1. Uh, it's page 576. You can just open your Bible straight in the middle. That's usually going to land you in Psalms. Back up to the next book behind it, and that would be Job. So Job precedes the book of Psalms. Page 576, Job chapter 1. As we talk about uh, a Father's Day message, there's a, a song that uh, I just heard for the first time a couple days ago, uh, and it's Mercy Me song. I think it's called uh, A Younger Me. Is that what it's called? Anyway, the song is about if I could go back and have a conversation with myself uh, at an earlier time in my life, what would I say? And I've, as I've been thinking about the things that we're going to talk about today, as I was listening to that song and I was thinking about the conversations that I would have with myself if I could go back. And I know that um, it's a little bit different for me uh, than, I guess, most people. I don't know, but, you know, I got saved when I was 25 years old. And uh, my wife was uh, already pregnant with Kayla. And um, it, uh, as soon as I became a Christian, the overriding uh, reality of my life was that I was utterly and completely unprepared to be a father, a, a husband and a father. And uh, I just began to ferociously uh, try to learn everything I could, get as many... Uh, mature men in my life as possible to try to prepare myself for uh, what was ahead. And I just thought as I listened to that song about how helpful it would have been to know as a young man I always wanted to be a husband and I always wanted to be a father. But uh, I knew that I wanted to have a family but I never really thought about it didn't occur to me everything that comes along with a family. It didn't occur to me all of the uh, responsibility and everything that weighs upon uh, the heart of a father who's trying to uh, lead his family in the right direction. And so I say that to say uh, that I hope this morning will be an encouragement to you fathers uh, who are here. I also hope that uh, you young men who are in this room who have yet to uh, have a family of your own that uh, what I'll say to you is what I wish somebody would have said to me, and that is that every time that you come to church, every time you go to Sunday school, every Bible study that you're in, uh, so many times you think you're just there because that's what you do. You come to church on Sunday mornings. You, but I just wish that somebody would have told me uh, that it's not just coming to church, that that one day you're going to be responsible for the people that you love the most in this world. And every single opportunity you have to learn something about God is so critically important. Don't ever take a sermon for granted or a Bible study for granted. Every opportunity you have, you may not see the need today, but trust me, that need will come. And uh, so make the most of it and listen closely to what will be said today. Let's pray and then we'll 
uh, study together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. And Lord, uh, we now stand before your perfect and errant word. And God, we just want to recognize that this scripture is our greatest earthly treasure. We thank you for it, Father. I pray that you'll use it supernaturally through the Holy Spirit to minister to the hearts of that are in this room, Father. Give us ears to hear and that we might receive for your glory that which you'd say to us today. In Jesus' name, amen. And I'll be honest with you, I'm just grateful today that we celebrate Father's Day as a culture and Mother's Day as a culture. And uh, don't take that for granted because uh, it won't be long before uh, the United States of America will celebrate Parents' Day um, because everything else in our culture is blurring the lines between a mother and a father and you just need people. And um, so that'll be coming. But today we still have Father's Day. And so we're going to be grateful for that. You need to be thankful. A few months ago, I, I read an article uh, by a man named Dan Jarvis. And I was sitting in my office just reading this article. And as I was reading it, I mean, it just started to, to get all over my heart. I started thinking about uh, Father's Day. And I started th- just, first it was ministering to my own heart as a, as a husband and a dad. And I was just uh, reading the things that he was talking about, about fathering and uh, the Lord. And really, it just had a time of worship and, and in my own spirit. And I thought, you know, uh, God, Father's Day can't get here soon enough. Uh, I've just been chewing on these things and so looking forward to being able to share them with you today. And I pray they're a blessing to you. I want you to uh, first think about, before we read Job chapter 1, I want you to think about uh, some things about God. I want you to think about the fact that uh, it's God's idea to introduce himself as Father. That That's very important, that he chose of all the ways to introduce himself to humanity, he chose to do it as a father. And that he, he patterned his relationship with, his, with Jesus. Uh, he, he, he patterned our relationship as fathers with our children after his relationship with Jesus. And so when you read the scripture in the way that the father and the son interact... It's, a, it's there as instruction for us as earthly fathers. Uh, certainly we can't attain that, but it's there as a model to help us and to, to shape us. And I realize that it's, it's an immense challenge, the challenge of fatherhood. And I want you to know that God didn't give us uh, a list of, of ten things to do to be a great dad. He didn't do that. Uh, what he did was he gave us himself. He gave us himself as the embodiment of a perfect father. He didn't make himself a father so that we could understand fathering. He made himself a father so that our children could understand him. You see, God is the perfect heavenly father. And we had to come through a process of whatever God used to the point where we first recognize that for ourselves, And once we recognize God as the, the perfect heavenly father, it, then he, he uses that in our lives, our relationship with him, so that those that he entrusts to us might see him as 
a perfect father. And so that's what drew my attention to Job chapter 1. You have to understand uh, the setting of the book of Job. Some of you, when you hear, turn to the book of Job, you're like, oh, no. So many times we think of the book of Job as just this uh, chronicle of intense suffering. Uh, There is uh, great suffering in Job, but Job is much more than a book about suffering. Job is the oldest book in the Bible. Job, you you have to understand that this book that, that we're about to read from Uh, Job takes place in the time of Abraham. It precedes Moses, who wrote the Pentateuch. We're talking about 4,000 years ago. Okay, We're talking about a book that, that, that introduces us to God for the very first time chronologically, a book that uh, we see God already in the process of shaping His people. Uh, it's so instructive to think about the, the place that we sort of jump in in the book of Job and and what we are immediately exposed to about God. It's sort of this first introduction, if you will. And what do we see when we first uh, look at Job chapter 1? We see a father. Look at Job chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. There was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was blameless and upright and one who feared God and shunned evil. And seven sons and three daughters were born to him. Also his possessions were 7,000 sheep and 3,000 camels and 500 yoke of oxen and 500 female donkeys and a very large household so that this man was the greatest of all the people of the east. And his sons would go and feast in their houses, each on his appointed day, and would send and invite their three sisters and eat and drink with them. So it was... When the days of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify them. And he would rise early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, It may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. See, we see a picture of a father. The way we're introduced to God is through this picture of this man, Job. And Job is a a man who uh, the Bible says is the greatest of all the people in the East, that he was a man of of great faithfulness. He was blameless. He wasn't sinless, but he was blameless, and he was upright. And he was blessed with many things, but mainly you can see where his focus lies. His focus is not on his occupation or on his possessions, but his focus is on his family. And we see this first picture of him, a man who is on his knees, petitioning God for his family and pleading with the Lord to to bless and to lead and guide and direct his children. You can see that his greatest concern is his kids and that they may have strayed from God. You see, when in verse 4, when the Bible says that they would go and feast at their houses each on their appointed day, that, that would be their birthdays. And so they're the children would get together on their birthdays and they would have these big celebrations and they would all get together as a family. It shows the, the love that they shared together. They would get all their siblings together and they'd have these big feasts together and they would celebrate their birthdays. And the Bible's telling us that when those feasting days had run their course, when that celebration was over, 
that Job would send for them and he would sanctify them. He would rise early in the morning. He would offer burnt sacrifices for them. You see that that phrase that that his sons may have sinned or cursed God, that word cursed, you might see a a footnote in in, in your Bible there. And if you look down at the bottom, you'll see that that Hebrew word can be uh, rendered either cursed or blessed, meaning that, uh, well, you say, well, now, wait a minute. Now, that wouldn't make any sense. Well, sure it does. It His concern is that his children may have sinned against God or failed to be grateful to God, failed to bless the name of God for the things that God has done for them. And so he is a a man who is petitioning God on behalf of his family. Now, understand something. Before a person can see God as a perfect heavenly father, they first must approach God either helped or hindered through the lens of their earthly father. That that's just how it goes. I mean, I, I can tell you as someone who grew up without an earthly father that uh, my first uh, resistance to uh, God was the fact that he presented himself as a father. And the word father didn't conjure up good thoughts in my mind. And so uh, I had to come through the lens of my earthly father. And that's what everyone has to do. And so our, our children will come to God either helped or hindered through the lens of who we are as their earthly father. So I started thinking about Job's sons and I started thinking about his kids and I started thinking about I wonder what they thought about when they thought about God I wonder what their I wonder what their idea of who God is based on what we know about their father what do your kids think about God do they think things about God that they've learned from you that you wish they wouldn't have learned? In other words, when they think about God, do they think uh, that He's short-tempered or volatile? When, we, when they think about their earthly father, do, do I as a father demand perfection in their life without grace? Am I absent during their most important moments? Does my family feel like no matter what they do, they can't win? Do I look into the eyes of my children and care when they speak? Do they see me laugh and smile and enjoy them? Do they know that I'm always there for them? Are they certain that I will discipline them in love? Do they see me as their defender and provider? Sometimes when I'm done preaching a funeral, as I'm driving back to my office, which I'll do this week, which most weeks, unfortunately, there's that opportunity so oftentimes, and I'll think about my own funeral. And I'll just think about what's being said. And I wondered this week, will my children remember me as one who faithfully loved them and cared for their mother. You see, if our children 
fear God in the wrong way, if they don't fear God for His holiness, but they, they fear God for His temper and volatility. They, they fear God because of His absenteeism. They fear God because of uh, His judgmentalism. If they, where do they get those ideas about God? Well, if you're starting to feel a little bit overwhelmed, which certainly would be possible this morning, I just want you to stop for a minute and remind yourself of a few things. First of all, being a, a father is not about you. It's not about me. Being a father is about God. And if, if you get that, it will free you from all of the ways that the enemy seeks to destroy you as a father. That your fatherhood is not about you and me. It's about God. And it should serve as great freedom and encouragement to think about that this morning. Because what that means is if fatherhood is really about God, then that means that you have the resources of the Lord Jesus Christ to transform everything uh, about your fathering. And if you feel like things have gotten so off track that there's really no way to to get back, then uh, you have to reconcile that with the reality of, well, then, is Jesus capable Is he enough? Is his grace sufficient to put back together that which has been broken apart? To which the answer is always yes, of course he is. And so the transforming power of the grace of God is available today to change our tomorrow. You see, here's what happens. I I tell you every time I preach on Mother's Day, I say I feel so just insufficient. Because I'm talking about something I know very little about. But it's the opposite on a day like today. I mean, I I can read so many minds in this room because I know the feelings you're feeling because I feel the same feelings. The feelings of uh, that the, the Bible is calling me to do something or to be something that I don't have the resources to be. Uh, That uh, so many times uh, dads will come to church just to check off a box, just to uh, be here to, to you know, make a, a, a to be here physically, uh, but really mentally and emotionally and spiritually, they're checked out. They just they're just being here to to appease things, or you just you try so hard and you feel like it just keeps blowing up in your face. Well, that's what I want to talk about today. I want to talk about how did Job become the dad that he was, and. Where did he find those resources? Did, was he just a harder worker than most of us? Was he just somebody who, who just had a, a greater tenacity to, to be a dad? I don't think so. I think he pulled from the same resources that we have. That God's not asking you to do anything today that you don't have the capacity to do. If you're in him, then you have everything you need to be the father that he's called you to be. Because being a great father comes from not trying to do this in your own strength and effort, but from just giving to those that God's entrusted to you that which God has given you. You want me to tell you how Job did what he did? Job was the husband and the father that he was because Job walked with God. If you walk with God, 
God will give you what you then turn and give to those around you. If your experience has been, Pastor, you don't understand how I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and it just keeps blowing up in my face. I can tell you right now without knowing anything else about your story that what you're trying to do is you're trying to give your family something you don't have. It will not work. What you need to do is focus on your relationship with God. You walk closely with God and just father those around you the way God fathers you. And all I want to talk about today is the way God fathers us. Just the way He fathers us. The way He fathers every single person in this room who belongs to Him. If you don't belong to Him, then today would be a great opportunity for God to open your mind to the reality of who He really is then maybe your struggle is, is that you've, got, you've had such a terrible experience with your earthly father that just the thought of, of trusting a heavenly father with everything is just more than you can bear. Well, let's just talk a little bit about how God fathers us. Five ways to father like God. Number one, love. You've got to start there. Just love. 1 John 3, 1 says, Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called the children of God. You see, it's John in this same book, very next chapter, he's going to tell us in chapter 4, verse 16, that God is love, that the essence and nature and character of God is love, and that he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. That the defining characteristic of God is love, and that anyone who knows him will also be defined by the same love. That if you read 1 John, what you'll learn about what John is teaching us about God is that walking closely with God will then expose you to experience the love that the Father has for us that will then come through us into the lives of those who are around us. See, fathering like God begins with demonstrating God's love to our families in both word and deed. Not in your own strength and power. Listen, if, 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 if I stood up here and just barked at you for 45 minutes about all the things you ought to be doing and made you feel two inches tall, what good would it do? What resources do you have to pull to, to be the person that God's calling you? What I want to do is I want you to see that this, this father who fathers us, God, primarily fathers us in love. And as you experience his love upon you, you then can just turn and do the same to those around you. You're not, you're not generating anything new. You're not doing anything unique. You're just simply a conduit from him to those he's entrusted to you. Don't focus on being a better father. That's just going to leave you frustrated and defeated. Focus on this simple principle. The closer that we walk with Jesus, the better fathers will become. It's that simple. Well, how can we get our mind around the way God's loved us? I just want to give you some practical things to think about. Answer these questions in your heart and mind. Is God generous towards you? Does God seek to bless you? Does God forgive you when you sin? Is God faithful to you through the bad times? Does God challenge you to do the right thing? Does God lovingly discipline you?
You see, that's how God loves us. All of, the, all of those questions just instantly my heart just screams, well, yes, of course. And then God just says, well, then do that to those around you. See, so many times, this is what I would do as a young father. I'd find myself in a situation where I wasn't, I didn't know a principle. I didn't have this, you know, I didn't have this immediate way to respond. And I would think, now what am I supposed to do here? And what I should have been thinking is, what does God do with me here? Do with my children what God does with me here. See, because I knew the answer to that. Because I'd experienced that. That when, when my children frustrate me, it, it's not like I would think, well, I never frustrate God, so I don't really know what he does. When I mean, yeah. <laughs> now, what does God do with me when I frustrate him? And then I would just think, oh, and then I would just turn and do that with my children. God fathers us, first of all, as a, a father who loves us. Who loves us. You see, you can see that Job's actions... Uh, indicate the great love that he had for his family. That in, with all the, the, the things that he had going on and all of the, the undoubtedly the, the great responsibility he was under, yet he made sure that his children knew that he loved them. What I love about what the Bible tells us in those first five verses is that Job didn't just cover his family in prayer. He didn't just serve as, a, as an intercessory for his family, but he went and got his children and he involved them in the process. You see, they saw him sacrificing on their behalf. They saw him petitioning God for them. In other words, they saw a tangible way that their earthly father was loving them and it shaped the way they then saw God. God is a father of love. Secondly, the word provide. God fathers us through provision. Matthew chapter 6, Jesus says, Therefore do not worry, saying, What shall I eat, or what shall I drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things the pagans seek. But your heavenly Father, he knows what you, what you all, that you all need these things. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. That Jesus is telling us that we need not worry because God is our provider. And Jesus, is he knows that because he knows God, that he is, he is God incarnate and that he has fellowshiped with God in this relationship of the Trinity for all eternity. And so he is telling us what he absolutely positively knows to be true, that why are you worried? You're... Father is a provider. You don't need to be stressed out about what you're going to eat or what you're going to wear. He's going to take care of it. You see, if, if anything is clear to us from Scripture, I mean, one of those things has to be that God is a generous God. He is so generous. He is such a giving God that it's almost, you know, I mean, we say things and we know what we mean, but, you know, it's God... God never calls us to give. He gives. I mean, we, if we can't give anything that he didn't give us first. It's just a return. It's just, a, it's just gratitude that all that we have is from him. He is so generous to us. 
Psalm 145, the psalmist says about God, you open your hand and you satisfy the desires of every living thing. The Lord is righteous in all his ways, gracious in all his works. You see, it's, it's almost like what Jesus says in Matthew 6, that if you seek first the kingdom of God, then all these other things will be added unto you. Well, what all other things? Like, how far does that go? Is that just the, 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 the necessities that we need? Is that just food and clothing? Or does it go beyond that? Well, it goes beyond that. That it's not only that we can trust Him in, in just the necessities, but that He wants to bless us. And that's what the psalmist is telling us. You see that He opens His hand and satisfies the desire of every living thing. He takes care of all that's entrusted to Him, and, but His ways are righteous. That, that meaning he won't, he won't give you something that you, that you don't need, something that will hurt you, something that will damage you that you might think you want that you don't need. And so the way you know if the desire that you have is good is whether or not God gives it. You don't sound convinced. Matthew chapter 9, uh, chapter 7, verse 9. Or what man is there among you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a serpent? Well, if then, being evil, Jesus says... You know how to give good gifts to your children. Well, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask Him? You see, Jesus is is simply saying, well, of course you won't treat your son that way. If your son asks for uh, bread, you're not going to give him a stone or a fish. You're not going to give him a serpent. Well, then if you can do good things for your children and you're a sinner, then how much more will your perfect heavenly Father delight in giving you the things that are the desires of your heart, things that won't harm you or hurt you. Being a godly provider, it really it doesn't have anything to do with achieving wealth or amassing stuff. It's not about giving our children everything they desire. It's, it's really, we want to, like Jesus, asked the question, well, what do my children need and how can I ensure that those needs are met? And once those needs are met, whatever else I can do to be a blessing to them that won't harm them or hurt them, I want to do that. I mean, isn't that, the, isn't that the, just the, the, the normal heart of, of, of any father that loves their children? And yeah, well, then how much more so will God, who knows every thought and intention of our heart, provide for us I mean, the opportunity that, that we have to, to provide for those that God's entrusted us, it gives us a sense of great joy and accomplishment. Well, how much more so does God take seriously his responsibility to provide? So he's a father of love, a father of provision. And thirdly, he's a father who protects. Here's how David describes the way God has been his protector. I love this, Psalm 61. For you have been a shelter to me, a strong tower from the enemy. I will abide in your tabernacle forever. I will trust in the shelter of your wings. And you see, the thing that makes God such an amazing protector is that God doesn't just protect us in secret. In other words, 
You could be a protector. You could, you could protect someone, and they really would never know that you were protecting them, right? God could do that if he wanted to. He could protect us without our knowledge of his protection. And although it is true that many, many times God's doing things in our lives to protect us that we're unaware of, it's not because God's trying to be secretive about it. It's just because we're blind and oblivious to what God's doing around us. God wants you to know his protective nature. He wants you to see that and experience that and be a part of that. He doesn't do that away from you. In Proverbs 18, the Bible says, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run to it and are safe. You see that? In other words, one of the beautiful things about Proverbs 18.10 is that the righteous run to him and find safety. Why? So that we know that he's made us safe, that he, he protects us as a father. And so then, how do I function as a protector for those who God's entrusted to me the way God functions as a protector for me? That's how I know how to do that. You see, because if, if, you just, if someone just tells you, well, you, you're, it's your responsibility to, under God to be the protector of your family. Well, great, but what does that mean? What does that look like? How do I do that? What's far more helpful is to understand that well, how has God protected you? So you just sit down and, and write a list of things that God has protected me from. God's protected me from poor choices. Oh, my goodness, has he protected me from poor choices. So many things that we wanted to do that we look back on and think, God, thank you for not answering that prayer. Thank you for not allowing me to to do what I thought I wanted to do, what I thought I needed to do. Looking back, we all see the, the, the perfect sovereignty of God in the rearview mirror, but yet we, we, we go spiritually blind looking forward. Poor choices. What about wasted time and money? Even when we've, we've wasted time and money, we look back and we can see how God was trying to protect us from that. He was trying to, you know, we, we knew, we sensed that, you know, that maybe wasn't the right thing and, we look back and think, what a mistake. He, he, we need to protect our children from bullying and hatred. You know, God protects us. He comforts us. You know, it, it's, it's hard as we think back about growing up. We think back about the function of a father in our lives. We had an amazing conversation about this in our Thursday night men's night uh, last month about this very issue. What about indebtedness? See, we need, to, we need to protect our children from indebtedness, and we need to recognize the way to do that is to think about how God has protected us. That when we find ourselves in a place of indebtedness, if you know God at all, you, you don't say, well, gee, God, that's really great how you've got me in this big mess. No. God didn't do that. We always know that. It was us. God was trying to protect us from it. He warns us, and yet we still... What about sinful habits? What about when you do something that you know you shouldn't do, and you have that sick feeling in the pit of your stomach, where you know you've been disobedient, and the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and how you just so desperately wish you could just 
reverse time and take back that conversation or, or, or take back that action or whatever it was that you could just... Well, we need to protect our, our family. We need to protect our children from sinful habits in the same way that God protects us. What about pornography or immorality? I mean, I think it goes without saying that God, even in the book of Job, is where the, the famous passage is where Job says, I've made a covenant with my eyes. That Job, if anyone understood this, Job did. And Job could have never imagined the pressure and the, and the, the, the opportunity and availability of pornography and immorality that we would face in this generation. We have a responsibility to protect our children from that. If you've been protected from that, then, it's, then it ought to be real easy for you to protect those under you. And if you've been delivered from that, then it ought to be real easy for you to understand how to protect and to ensure that those under you have been delivered from that as well and don't have to go through what you've gone through. And if you're in the grip of that this morning, which undoubtedly some of you in this room are, then you know the pain and the agony and the suffering and the guilt and the shame associated with this sin. And I would simply say to you, if your knowledge of God is not enough to make you flee from that, then maybe the knowledge of the fact that the sins of the Father will go in the next generation, the generation to come, will be. What about misguided priorities? We look back and we think about all the things that we used to think mattered the most and now we realize how frivolous and worthless they are. Listen, you, as God has protected you from that, you need to look at your children and look at their priorities and look at the things they invest their time in and help them and guide them and mold them and shape them. What about abuse? So many people... So many of you, your lives have been touched by abuse in a horrible way that has taken you so long to, to get over. We need to protect our children. We need to do every possible thing we can to protect our children from abuse. You know, so many times people get frustrated with me here, you know, at church because of... Uh, sometimes it can be difficult when you have small children because of all the regulations and the rules and the, well, this is why it's that way. Because we have to be so careful. And then, you know, when it came to my, uh, it came to my knowledge a few weeks ago that uh, parents were hanging out in Sunday school after the Sunday school hour, talking, chatting, maybe praying, doing something spiritual. I mean, I don't know, but all I know is that your kids are down in the East Sanctuary waiting for you. And we don't have adequate security in place after church to be watching them. And immediately I said, hold on a second. You got to come get your kids. Not because we're tired of watching them. Not because whatever you're doing in Sunday school is not important. But because that's not a safe environment for them. I don't want children on this campus anywhere where they're not safe, as safe as they can possibly be. People make comments to me all the time about 
My goodness, is there going to be an inch of this place where we're not on camera? Probably not. So just smile and look good and try not to pick your nose. Because if you do, we probably have it recorded. False teachers. Dads, as the priest of your home, you've got to protect your children from false teachers. Look at what Job does. He, he is sacrificing. He gets up early in the morning, gets his kids together, makes sacrifices to the Lord. He's protecting them from sinful behavior, from a heart of ingratitude, that they might go astray, that they might be led by, by, you know, by the, the, the people around them, the company they keep, whatever it is, that he is protecting them as a covering. I mean, as a new Christian, when people would say, well, you know, you're the priest of your home, how is that helpful? I used to think, what do I got to get a collar? I mean, what does that mean? That's what Job was doing. He was being a priest over his family. He was praying God's protection and covering over his family. See, now that helps me. And then when I think about how God has, has been a priest for me and how he has watched over me and how he has protected me, now I can, okay, now that I can get my head around. I can function there. So God loves us, he provides for us, he protects us. Fourthly, he leads us. As dads, it's so critical that we lead those that God has entrusted to us. I mean, we're leading, but where are we leading? And the great passage on this topic would definitely be Joshua chapter 24, where Joshua challenges the Men around him, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether it be the gods which your father served and were on the other side of the river, the gods of the Amorites, in whom the land you will dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You know, that's just not a plaque or something you put on your front door or in your kitchen wall, but we have to lead our, our families. See, God's never left his people without direction. See, I've really thought about this a lot. I thought about, now, how has God led me? How has God led his people? And so I thought about, okay, if we start at the very beginning, if we start reading through the Bible, Genesis to Revelation, no matter what, what dispensation of God you're in, no matter what era of the, of the progression of the redemptive process of God, God's always there. His people are never, ever, ever without his direction. See, you'll see this pattern if you look at that. You'll see this pattern of how he led. Now, I want you to think about this for a minute. That first, God leads through a pillar of fire. Then God moves into a season where he's, he's leading through prophets. And then God goes from the prophets into a time of incarnation where the Lord Jesus walks on the earth physically. And then what happens after Jesus? How is God giving direction to his people? Through the Holy Spirit. Now, if you think about that, if you think about the pillar of fire, you think about the prophets, you think about the incarnation, and you think about the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, what do you, what do you learn about the leadership of God? That as the redemptive process of God moves forward, God is increasingly leading us in a more personal and powerful way. 
that God, God was very present in the pillar of fire. I mean, just read Numbers or Leviticus. He was very present speaking through the prophets, no doubt. All of those prophecies have come true. And sometimes we would have the mistake of thinking that, oh, if we could just been alive when Jesus was walking on the earth. Well, as sentimental as that may seem, the Bible's teaching a greater progression. See, in John chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Father, full of grace and truth. Whoa, what an amazing reality. There's God in the flesh among us. But then, by John 14, Jesus says, I will pray to the Father that He will give you another helper, and that He may abide with you forever, the Spirit of truth. And then, and then I, our hearts may come against that the same way the disciples did. And so two chapters later, Jesus says, now let me explain this to you. Nevertheless, I'm going to tell you the truth. Brace yourself for this. It's to your advantage that I go away. It's going to be more personal. It's going to be, it's going to be far better for you that I go away because if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I depart, I will send him to you. That instead of being in the presence of God, you're going to be indwelt by God. That He is going to lead you internally. That He is going to lead you in such a personal way that as a new covenant Christian, that as a father, I think about how God has given me His Spirit and how His Spirit, it leads me, it convicts me, it guides me, it prompts me, it, it tunes me into so many things around me that I would never know about apart from Him. That He leads us. In such a spectacular way. And so he's shown us that leadership so that we might lead those whom he's entrusted to us. In a very personal, in a very intimate, and a very powerful way. See our children, oh, especially our sons. They so follow in their father's example. They're going to emulate your values. They're going to emulate your attitude. And they're going to, they're going to emulate your faith. You know, there, there might be a lot of things about your relationship with God that you uh, know to be true, but do your children know that it's true? As fathers, we have this God-given opportunity to intentionally, through the way that we lead, we feed into our kids a set of, of values, a, a, a collection of wisdom, and, and a spiritual life that we sow into them that it goes down deep into the roots of our family trees. You know, so many... Uh, so many of you are first-generation Christians. And so for you, you're, you're like me. This is a, it's, all a, it's all a new beginning. That you're passing down something that was never passed to you. And, and that's remarkable and, and wonderful. But then there's so many of you in this room that received a godly heritage. And so you know what it's like to receive that which I long in my heart to pass down to my children.
So what's some, some tangible things that we can think about for, for leading our children well? I, I just want to try to be practical. I want you to realize that the way to, the, the way to flourish in this reality that I'm talking about is to just write practical things down about how God has ministered to you. Never neglect your own relationship with Jesus. The pinnacle of your ability to lead is going to be your ability to follow. You cannot impart to anyone something you don't have. When things are, are going good and the pressure's not on, don't slack up. Because around the next corner is going to be some great challenge. And you're going to need to draw on the strength that you have from your relationship with God. The second would be this. Be an example in matters of character and integrity. Man, I, I think about the, 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 the ways that you know I've, I've either said something or done something that I've regretted in front of my children. And uh, I just remember the very first my first experience with this and uh, sitting it on my daughter's, the foot of my daughter's bed and, and repenting before her and asking her to forgive me. Now I'm looking at this little child and I'm saying, honey, daddy was wrong and, and God's not pleased with the way that I reacted and I shouldn't have reacted that way and and I'm going to ask God to forgive me, and I also want you to forgive me. And you know what your flesh says in that moment? Your flesh says, boy, your kids are going to see you as weak. They're going to look at their dad and say, what a wimp he is. No, no, they're not. They're going to see you as somebody who has real character and real integrity. Because believe me, if you think your kids think you're perfect, then you don't talk to your kids very much. And you've never taught children's or youth Sunday school. Because believe me, their Sunday school teacher knows everything about you. Decide or show them what really matters by your life choices. In other words, make choices that glorify God, but show your children. Explain to them why you're doing the things that you're doing. Involve them in the process of being faithful. Decide how your family will serve God practically. In other words, don't make involvement or serving God optional. But have a plan going forward. Have a plan in advance. This is how we're going to practically serve God. I'm telling you, I, my heart is just so, it's not broken, it's just full. I came up here yesterday. All this stuff is boiling around in my head. I came up here yesterday afternoon. I pulled around the building. There's a dad and his daughter out there working on the playground. Just together. They're fixing something out there, and I went over there and sat down and just chatted with them, and I was just looking at that thinking, man, praise the Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Some of you men in this room, you're, you're, you're amazing servants of God, and you do a lot of things 
for the kingdom. And we're all very grateful for that. But please, Lord, please involve your children, your grandchildren in what you're doing. Don't leave them at home and, and, and come do it. Bring them with you. Involve them in the process. And where they can't physically be with you, then make sure that you discuss it and talk about it. And, 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 and don't always make it like it's fun because it's not always fun. But let them see that the reward is, is the faithfulness of God to do the things that he's called us to do. Discuss openly the values that define your family. Who is your family? What do they stand for? What are you about as a family? Well, can your kids articulate that? Do they know what the highest uh, value in your family is and why that is that way? Refuse fathers to be angry or selfish. So many men are inadvertently destroying their children by anger and selfishness. Every time I hear a man talk harshly to his wife in front of his kids, I want to go Nehemiah on him. Set church and spiritual education up as a priority. I mean, it, it should go without saying, but it's just got to be in the DNA, the fabric of who your family is. Your children need to understand. If your kids ever ask you, are we going to church tomorrow, you're failing in that department. That ought to be a, a question they never ask. Be generous and encourage them to give also. Be generous and involve them in your generosity and explain to them why you're being generous. So how does God father us? He loves us, he provides for us, he protects us, and he leads us. And then finally and fifthly, he enjoys us. God enjoys you, Dad. And he wants you to enjoy your kids. Psalm 149 says the Lord takes pleasure in his people. You know, as God fathers us the way that he does, as he's loving us and providing for us and protecting us and leading us, why is he doing all this? Is it just a function of him building his kingdom? Is this just like a, a, a pragmatic uh, system that God has to get to? It's just a means to an end. Is that why he does all that? No. He actually enjoys fathering us that we somehow bring God joy Zephaniah 317 the Lord your God is in your midst the mighty one will save he will rejoice over you with gladness he will quiet you with his love and he will rejoice over you with singing that God is delighted over his people and, and he's not just, he doesn't just smile down on us, but the, the, the Hebrew in Zephaniah 3 is that he is, he is almost giddy with joy over his children. That when you, when, you, when, you, when, you, when you father as he's fathered you, he gets such delight out of that. That he, is, he, he finds such joy in us as we walk with him. Just as God delights in us, Warts and all. That's how we're to delight in our children. 
You see, so many times dads find it hard to actually enjoy their children. They're too serious. They're too, they're too focused. They're too structured. They're too regimented. I mean, I've heard it all. I've heard the, well, you just don't understand. I mean, I grew up in a military family, or my dad was real, or whatever the case may be. Well, that may be your problem, but don't make it your kid's problem. God gave you those children to enjoy them. And you should laugh together, and you should smile together, and you should, you should find delight in them. And if you, if you hang some uh, merit over them for your enjoyment, how hypocritical is that when, when you know that the only way that you can have a relationship with God is because of His unending grace? In other words, how is it that God delights over me? He doesn't delight over me because I'm worthy of delighting over So I have to understand that the way I delight over my children is not because they deserve to be enjoyed. It's because they're my children. And that God can somehow delight in me, then my job is to delight in them. God doesn't pretend that the things that I do that are wrong didn't happen. He doesn't overlook them. He doesn't excuse them. But He still delights in me. You see, that's the practical way to think about this. We have to understand that our children are gifts. Our family is a gift from God. And so we have to enjoy them as such. The Bible says in James chapter 1 that every good and perfect gift comes from above. So not to find ways to enjoy our children would be to be ungrateful towards the giver of that gift. Let me give you some practical questions about enjoying our children. Do I play with my children? Are there times when I'm just fun, where dad's just fun? Do I seek out opportunities to be with them? Or is it always them coming to seek me out? Do they see me as their encourager and cheerleader? Do you ever surprise your kids with your your support and encouragement to something that they expect you to not be so encouraging about because it may be something that you're not really into or it's not your cup of tea or whatever the case may be. I mean, basically, dads, when it comes to our daughters, that's just about everything. As I thought about this, I just thought about how grateful I am that probably the only pictures that my wife has not leaked out uh, of our family are the ones of me wearing a feather boa having a tea party with a pink crown on my head with Kayla and having a blast doing it and acting like the tea was too hot to burn my mouth and she would just giggle away. Do you pay attention to the details of things that they love? Do you make plans to have fun together? Do you get your family together for the specific purpose of doing something together that's fun? And I guess a good indicator of how we're doing is do your kids want more time with you? See, what happens is over time, if we're not careful, then the tide just turns and they give up and go the other way. That's okay if that's the boat you're in today. God can help you to restore that.
The Bible says he'll restore even that which the locusts have eaten away. But we want our kids to want more time with us. So how does God father us? He fathers us by, by loving us and providing for our needs, by protecting us from that which seeks to harm us, by leading us in the path that we need to be on, and by enjoying us, just enjoying who he made us to be. You think all that just seems so far-fetched. Well, how else could we explain the Apostle Paul's understanding of fatherhood for somebody who had no children of his own? I love what he says to the church at Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. He's talking to the church and he says this to him. He says, as you know how we encouraged and comforted and charged every one of you. And this is what he says. As a father does his own children. That you would walk worthy of God. Who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. You see at the end of the day. Dad's. The goal is not to win the prize as the greatest dad. The, the goal is not to have the applause of the world around us. But our goal is, is Job's goal, that even if everything's taken away from us and even if everything falls apart, that we might be faithful. And that our goal above all things would be that our kids would walk worthy. That they'd walk worthy of the God who's called them into his glorious kingdom. You see, I don't know. I don't know how to be the perfect husband or the perfect dad. I don't think you do either. But I know how God's fathered me. And without an earthly father, I know how he's fathered me. And so if that's the case then I guess simply this morning is about how has God fathered you? How has he fathered you? And then how can you then take what he has done for you and turn it around and do the same for those around you? And certainly, moms could do the same thing. Grandparents could do the same thing. So many men in this room not only father their own children, but father the fatherless. And find the great joy there is to just be a father to whoever God may put in front of you. To minister to them as God's ministered to you. I want you to be encouraged this morning. That we do have a heavenly father who is the perfect heavenly father. And that we don't need to rack our brains to try to figure out what it is he's calling us to do. We just need to be to those around us what he's been to us. And we'll find in that the grace and the encouragement to press on. So dads, don't give up. There's no greater fight than the fight of fatherhood. And whatever challenges you have before you, whatever regrets you have behind you, my sincere prayer for you is that you would realize this isn't about you and it isn't about me, it's about God. And you just move forward in what God's done in your life. And if you're here this morning and you don't know God as the perfect heavenly father. Well, it's simple for me to explain to you how you can know him. But the real question is, 
Is he inviting you in to know it? Is he just by your very presence here this morning, yet showing you another way that he's working in the small details of your life, that he's drawing you to himself, that all these things that happen around us are not on accident, and that he's working together all things to draw you to him, that you might be his son or his daughter, that he might delight over you. Let's stand and bow our heads.